When you're an American Express Platinum Card member, don't be surprised if you say things like, Chef, what course are we on? I've, I've lost count. Or, shoot that, shoot that! And even, checkout's not until four, so. Because the American Express Platinum Card offers access to exclusive reservations at renowned restaurants, elevated experiences at live events, and 4 p.m. late checkout at fine hotels and resorts booked through Amex Travel. That's the powerful backing of American Express. See how to elevate your experiences at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Terms apply. There's plenty to celebrate in March and ex- Craft Month with the perfect pizza at home class from Craftsy. And anytime is right to listen to iHeartRadio's iHeartCountry Radio. Discover more shows and movies for free. Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury, the premiere of the all new 2025 Infinity QX80. Live March 20th from the Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City. Featuring a performance by John Batiste. The all-new 2025 Infiniti QX80 is an SUV designed to help every passenger feel just right. Be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. Don't miss it. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Introducing the Lisa Chill Collection, your answer to hot nights. These mattresses beat the heat with ultra-cool covers, whisking away heat for the perfect sleep temperature. Save up to $460 on chill mattresses and get two free pillows when you shop now. iHeart listeners can save an extra $50 off by visiting lisa.com forward slash iHeart. That's l-e-e-s-a dot com slash iHeart. Exclusions apply. See lisa.com for more details. The 2021 MLB season is here, and although the seats may not be full, your bankroll has the chance to be. Greg Hoops Peterson has you covered for every game, every day this season, along with comprehensive analysis and angles for getting to the window while celebrating the walk-off winners and blown saves of what will be a wild season. Now it is time for the Baseball Betting Podcast with Greg Peterson. A warm and friendly hello. Welcome to lovely Las Vegas for the Baseball Winning Podcast. Myself, Greg Peterson. Got a great podcast for you today as we're going to be joined by Ben Wilson of the Vegas Ads and Information Network in the second segment. We're going to be looking at the race that is going down out there in the National League Central. Going to be taking a look at this Cubs versus Padres game as we've got a very light board in the final segment. Going to give you a sign total on every game on the Las Vegas betting board for this Monday and a little something I like to call touch them all. Spoiler, it's only three games so it's going to be a little bit light so we're going to be talking about that. We're going to be talking about how the best three teams out there in the National League might be out there on the West Coast as well. So Going to have some fun with it. And I always have some fun being able to talk about just whatever you guys want to hear on this podcast. If you've got questions, comments, segment ideas, what have you. If you've got one or two ways, we will fire those in. First one is my Twitter timeline, at GUnit underscore 81. Keep in mind, the letter ZM, they mean does not matter. The other way is via an Apple Podcast review. If you rate this podcast five stars, it is very much appreciated. And then from there, you're able to send your questions, comments, segment ideas, what have you. Did not wind up getting in any Twitter questions today, but we had a great day of baseball on Sunday. So Let's take a look back at it. Try to find some trends and try to get to know these teams a little bit better. A games from yesterday is Greg buzzing about. Here is the rowdy recap. The Boston Red Sox were able to sweep the New York Yankees in the Bronx thanks to some help. Six of five, the final on Sunday in 10 innings. 
the Boston Red Sox were very much beneficiaries of a terrible strike three called in the ninth inning on Rudnett Odor at a full count, so there was that aspect of it. And the New York Yankees also helped out the Boston Red Sox because they wound up getting eight hits in the first four innings, only got three runs off of Garrett Richards, who wound up giving up those eight hits, along two walks over the course of five innings, and then from there, the Boston Red Sox bullpen was terrific. Matt Burns gives up a run in the ninth inning to be able to force extras, and Phil Valdez in the tenth winds up giving up the man on second, but Josh Taylor, Edamonavino, Darwinson Hernandez, they all give you scoreless innings. The game was led off by Alex Verdugo in the first inning, giving you a home run off of Edamon Marquez for his eighth home run of the season. And then Marwin Gonzalez would go deep off of Lucas Lutige later on in the game for his second for Lutige. He winds up giving up two runs in one and a third innings, and Domingo Ramon was pulled way too early in this one. At 84 pitches on him, five and two-thirds innings, he gives up that solo home run to Alex Verdugo, and then Wandy Peralta gives up a run out of the bullpen. You had to roll to Chapman do his job in the ninth, but Luis Sessa gives up two runs, one of which was earned out there in the 10th inning, and for the New York Yankees, they strand 12 men on base, so the offensive struggles for them continue. The struggles overall of the Texas Rangers continue. They lose to the Tampa Bay Rays by a count of 7-1. For the Rays, this team has been absolutely masterful on the road. They've got the best road record out there in the big leagues at 23-10, by the way, the Boston Red Sox. I believe that they are now number two as they are 20-10 on the road so far this season, but for the Rays, they were able to get some very good pitching and a little bit of a bullpen game. Michael Waka was Waka 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 as he gave up the lone run that the Rays would surrender. Two and two-thirds innings, he gives up one run, and that was a dying Pac-Man voice, by the way. You have from there, J.P. Fireisen, Ryan Sheriff, both give you four outs out of the bullpen. Adam Kittrich, two scoreless innings. Jeffrey Springs gave you a pair of outs. Pete Fairbanks, he was able to give you a scoreless inning. And Yandy Diaz gets his first home run of the season in the ninth inning off Red Martin. And by the way, Austin Meadows, he now has 48 RBI for the Tampa Bay Rays. He's having himself a nice year for Dane Dunning. He was able to get her Dunning. Five scoreless innings for the Texas Rangers. And then Taylor Hearn, he gives you two scoreless innings as well. And the Rangers would give everything up in the final two innings. For Brett Martin, gives out four unearned runs in an inning. Josh Shorbich winds up giving you two outs out of the bullpen. But John King who has been very reliable all year long for the Rangers, gives up three runs, two of which were earned. Isaiah Kinnear, Falefa, wanted to commit two errors that hurt the Texas Rangers, and what else hurt the Texas Rangers? Stranding 11 men on base and going 1 of 11 with men in scoring position. So, there was just a comedy of issues there, and by the way, if you're looking for the team that's averaging the most runs per game on the road, right now the Tampa Bay Rays. The Milwaukee Brewers are certainly not in that vein, but they were able to do just enough to be able to knock off the errors of the Diamondbacks by a count of 2 to 0. For the Diamondbacks, Caleb Smith, not a bad start in this one. Gives up a solo home run over the course of five innings. Riley Smith would give up a solo home run in an inning out of the bullpen. Taylor Clark, Stefan Kicktrin, they both give you a scoreless setting as for the Brewers. Going deep in this one, Tyrone Taylor, sixth of the season, that comes off of Riley. And Daniel Robertson, who's hitting well below the Mendoza line of 200, gets his second home run of the campaign. And for one, Coben Burns. He was very dominant in this one. 13 strikeouts, no walks issued over the course of seven innings, all scoreless. Brad Boxberger, Devin Williams, they give you a scoreless inning from there. The Brewers had scored at least five runs in each other last four games, but pitching was certainly on display there. Pitching was not on display for the Cleveland Indians. They wind up losing to the Baltimore Orioles 18-5 in a series between the Cleveland Indians and the Baltimore Orioles, in which in the last two games wound up featuring a grand total of 37 runs for the Cleveland Indians. Cal Quantrill gets a start. He gets four outs and he gives up seven runs, five of which were earned. That was not necessarily too terrific. From there, you have two different guys give up five runs out of the bullpen. Kyle Nelson over the course of an inning, and Sam Entages, he gets five outs, but he gives up five runs in the process. Nick Sandlin was able to give you two-thirds of an inning scoreless. You were able to get two and a third inning scoreless. 
out of Trevor Steven, and then Nick Wickren was able to come in for an inning. He winds up giving up a solo home run in the process, going deep for the Baltimore Orioles off of him in this one. You had Mr. Ramon Odias being able to get a second home run in the campaign, and Quantrill served one up to Cedric Mullins, his ninth of the season as the Orioles went 11 of 18 with men scoring position, and that's in support of Mr. Ode Lopez, who winds up giving up three runs over the course of five innings. And by the way, if you take a look at Mr. Ode Lopez, he is giving up like all of his runs in the fourth and fifth inning of his starts. So that is something that's fascinating. Taylor Wells, Hunter RV both give you scoreless innings, and then you wind up having Zach Lawther give up two runs of two innings. He served one up to Bobby Bradley, a home run. His first of the season, and Amid Rosario goes deep off of Mr. Ode Lopez for his fourth home run of the campaign. And for the Cleveland Indians, offense has actually been there recently for this team. They have scored now at least five runs in three out of their four games this month, and if you really date it back, they have been able to score at least five runs and now five out of their last seven, but pitching really failed them on this day. The Pittsburgh Pirates offense is always failing them, and they wind up losing to the Miami Marlins by a count of 3-1 to one for the Marlins. Asus Aguiar, he now has 44 RBI and 12 home runs. He winds up going deep off of Chad Cool in the second inning for Cool. He was not very cool in this one. He does wind up giving up that home run, three runs in total, two of which were earned over the course of six innings. From there, the Pirates bullpen, which has actually been halfway decent, they get two scoreless innings out of Luis Oviedo, and they wind up getting a scoreless setting out of Austin Davis as well, but team goes one of nine with men in scoring position for the Miami Marlins. Sandy Alcantara was very good in this one. He goes eight innings, gives up an unearned run, hurt by an Asus Aguiar error, and then from there, Yimi Garcia gets a sense save of the season, so that was good for the Miami Marlins. The Washington Nationals went with a little bit of a wholesale approach to their start on Sunday, and it was a wholesale loss. 12-6 to the final for Austin Voth. He served as the opener, and they probably should have pushed him a little bit further. Two scoreless innings from him. Wander, I swear this guy sucks. Now he's a 260 ERA. He gives you a scoreless inning. And then you have Kyle McGowan give you two scoreless innings. Problem is, Tanner Rainey gives up three runs in his inning. Paolo Espeno, he gives up two runs while being able to record four outs. Kyle Finnegan, he gives up five runs, the only one of which was earned over the course of a third of an inning. Sam Clay gives up two runs. He records one out. Jody Mercer really hurt this team with a bad error out there in the field. And for the Philadelphia Phillies, Vince Velasquez, not necessarily Great start. He gives up three runs over the course of four innings. Brandon Kitzler, he gives up three runs, records two outs. You have Sam Coonrod give you four outs out of the bullpen along Christopher Sanchez. Hector Neris is able to get the final two outs of the game. Archie Bradley gives you a scoreless inning. And for the Philadelphia Phillies, pair of home runs. JT Riemito winds up going deep off of Rainey for his fifth home run of the season. Brad Miller, his sixth of the season off of Espeno. The Phillies, by the way, go four of nine with earners in scoring position and score 12 runs. That shows you just how bad it was for the Nationals as the Nationals actually out hit the Philadelphia Phillies by a count of 10 to 9 in this one. The Houston Astros wind up winning another Luis Garcia start. 6 to 3 the final. Luis Garcia might be one of the more undervalued starters out there in the big leagues. Team has won each out of his last five starts. He gives up one run in six innings, two walks, eight punch outs. From there, you do wind up having Ryan Sanek give up two runs out of the bullpen while recording two outs for Brooks Raley. One in a third inning scoreless. Ryan Presley, he's able to get the save. And for the Houston Astros, they could have had a whole heck of a lot more in this one. They go 3 of 19 with men in scoring position and leave 13 men on base. Chaz McCormick gets his fifth home run of the season that comes off of Steven Matz. And Matz serves up a leadoff home run to Jose Altuve. He's ninth of the season for Matz. He has been bad recently. He gives up four runs over the course of four and a third innings. And then from there, the Toronto Blue Jays have Joel Payampas give up a run in one and two-thirds innings. Tim Mazza gives up an unearned run while recording it out. Anthony Castro, five scoreless 
outs while not giving up a run. Carl Edwards Jr., Tyler Chatwood, they combined for an inning, and for the Toronto Blue Jays, one of several with men in scoring position. So that was not necessarily too terrific. And for the Astros, they have now scored at least four runs in 18 out of their last 23 games. The Dodgers wind up losing a road series to the Atlanta Braves, 42 the final. The Braves have not been above 500 all year long, but now sit at 28 and 29. As Trevor Bauer, well, he gives up three plus runs for his second straight start, giving up three in total over the course of six innings. David Price gives up a run on the bullpen as he and Nate Jones wind up combining to take that eighth inning. Victor Gonzalez gives you a scoreless inning, but for the LA Dodgers, Albert Pujols able to get his fourth home run of the season. That comes off of Will Smith, who seems to always get jiggy with it with his save opportunities, giving up that solo home run in an inning. And Max Fried, very solid start. Gives up one run over the course of six innings. A.J. Minter, Caleb Martin both give you a scoreless setting. And for the Atlanta Braves, they win this game despite going one of 12 men in scoring position. So they were able to get the job done there for the Chicago White Sox. They've been playing a couple lower scoring games recently. They're able to get a 3-0 win over the Detroit Tigers. This is a White Sox team that all of a sudden, they have scored four runs or fewer in three out of their last four games. And if you're looking overall, four out of their last six. And I think you're actually able to make it six out of their last nine. But in this one, they were able to get a very good start out of Dylan Cease. He winds up going seven scoreless innings, walks one, punches out ten. Aaron Bummer, Liam Edricks, they both come in for the eighth and ninth inning, and for the Sox, they were able to go two of five with men in scoring position as Jose Areña. Not a bad start in this one. Three runs given up over the course of five innings. From there, you get scoreless innings out of Mr. Jason Foley, Daniel Norris, along with Brian Garcia. So, a Tigers bullpen that has been terrible. They're looking a little bit better, but 0-9 with men in scoring position. The Tigers are towards the bottom of the league in pretty much every offensive category. It showed through there. The Minnesota Twins wind up winning a series. They are able to take down the Kansas City Royals by a count of 2-1. to one. It was actually a split, but for them, it's pretty much a win because it's been very, very bad going for them recently, but even though they wind up leaving 10 men on base, they got a pretty solid start out of Bailey Ober. He winds up going four innings. He gives up one run, and then from there, you get scoreless innings out of Luke Farrell, Ore Alcala, Ty Duffy, Enzo Robles, and then Taylor Rogers. For the Kansas City Royals, they weren't able to get a lot going on offense. One of seven with Ben in scoring position. Went Merrifield, a double and a triple in this one, but for Brady Singer, a little bit of a tough luck loss. Five and two-thirds innings. He winds up giving up two runs. Scott Barlow, Josh Stamount, fresh off the injured list, and Jake Brents. All guys who have now a 2-7 or lower ERA give you a scoreless setting, and Kyle Zimmer is able to give you an out to be able to get the team out of the sixth, but for the Kansas City Royals, a little bit disappointing in the fact that they wind up losing back-to-back games to the Minnesota Twins. Our New York Post play of the day winds up hitting on Sunday, by the way. Had the over in the St. Louis Cardinals and Cincinnati Reds game. Reds win it by a count of 8-7. to seven. Helps when you got a guy that gives you not one, not two, but three home runs in Jesse Winker. First two come off of John Gant, and then he goes deep off of Alex Reyes in the ninth. For John Gant, he winds up entering into this game with a buck 60 ERA to 152 whip. I don't think I've ever seen that before, and predictably... The regression monster got to him. He gives up seven runs over the course of four innings, giving up those two home runs. Alex Reyes gives up that home run in the ninth inning. Giovanni Gallegos along the way, two scoreless innings. You get a scoreless inning out of Andrew Miller along with Angel Rondon. And then for the St. Louis Cardinals, they got a deep shot of their own. Tyler O'Neill, his 13th home run the campaign that comes off of Michael Felice, who is more like Michael Sad in this one for Felice. Gives up five runs and he doesn't record it out. Brad Brock, he doesn't record it out. He gives up two runs. This after Wade Miley is able to go five scoreless innings. Got a little bit lucky and dodged some bullets along the way, but still five scoreless. DJ Antone comes in for a scoreless inning. Ryan Hendricks, same for him. Ethan Embry, scoreless inning. And Lucas Sims was able to close the door in the ninth inning. So... 
Certainly had a little bit of a slugfest out there in St. Louis. You certainly did not have that out there in Colorado where you typically expect a couple more runs to be had. 3-1 to one the final for James Caparillion. Not a bad start. You give up two runs in five innings at Coors. You expect to get the win. Submergio Romo, Jake Diekman, they both give you scoreless innings for the Oakland A's. Yasmeto Petit gives up a run, but for the Oakland A's, 2 of 13 with men in scoring position for one. Uderman Marquez, this was a terrific start. He gives up one run over the course of six innings. Michael Givens, a scoreless inning, and Daniel Bart was able to dodge a couple bullets. He gets a two-inning save, and for the Colorado Rockies, they go just one of eight with men in scoring position, but how about these splits for the Colorado Rockies? 4-22 on the road, now 20-14 and 14 at home, and for the Oakland A's, the exact opposite. Now 18-9 on the road and 17-17 17 and 17 at home, which I find to be very fascinating. What else is very fascinating is how bad the Angels are. They are the only team in the American League with north of a 5 ERA. They give up a 9 spot to a Seattle Mariners team that has the worst batting average in the league, 9-5 to the final. For the Mariners, they had four starters in this game leave the game with a buck 82 or lower with regards to their batting average. And yet Donovan Walton goes deep off of Patrick Sandoval for his second home run of the season. Patrick Sandoval drops his career record to 1-11. Gives up three runs over the course of six innings, which for the Angels, you'll actually take that. Alex Guadio from there gives up one run while being able to get two outs. Mike Myers, scoreless inning, CC check. He winds up coming in for an inning. Gives up three runs under circle, and he gives up a run along the way. And for the Angels, 2 of 13 with men in square position. Justin Upton, he gets a home run off of Logan Gilbert, his 13th of the season. But for Gilbert, that would be his low mistake. He does wind up walking four, but gives up five runs just at home run. JT Chargois, Paul Sewell, they are able to give you scoreless innings with Long Drew's second rider. Keenan Middleton in the ninth inning gives up three runs without recording it out, and Rafael Montero has his ERA heightened to 478 with giving up a run in an inning, but the Seattle Mariners now 30-31, and 31, despite the fact that they've got a bullpen ERA over the last three days, right around a 5-5, and they've got a negative 54 run differential, so that makes things very fascinating. What else is really fascinating? Taking a look at this Mets team and how they're able to get W. 6-2 the final. They take down the Slam Diego Padres. Now Marcus Stroman had a bad error in this game. That led to an unearned run. Pete Alonso had an error as well, but 6-2 innings, one unearned run. Trevor May gives out the bullpen. He gives up a run in an inning, but Miguel Castro gives you four outs and for the Mets. Dom Smith gets his fourth home run of the season off of Chris Paddock and Greg Salmon who's been solid out of the bullpen all year long. He gives one up to the resurgent James McCann who is able to get his sixth home run of the season for the Padres. This was not necessarily what you were hoping for out of the bullpen as Salmon gives up three runs of two innings. Chris Paddock he winds up giving up three runs over the course of six innings. That sort of is what he is. Austin Adams gives you a scoreless inning as well but for the Padres as well. One of ten with men in scoring position and the Padres all of a sudden are on a pretty nasty slide over their last 10 games. This is a bunch that I believe they are 4-6, and six, but I think that they might be more like 3-6 and six in their last 9, so it has not necessarily been too good there as the worst team in the big leagues. In that time has been the Miami Marlins along the Arizona Diamondbacks, both at 2-8, and eight, but you take a look at Major League Baseball in general so far this year, we are noticing that overs and unders are relatively even right now. Overs are currently at 424 and 425, so Pretty much a 50-50 split there. Favorites, after a rough start to begin the year, they're doing pretty solid. 56.4%, 492, and 380. If you're taking a look over the last seven days, favorites, 55 and 39. That is a 58.5% clip. And over the last seven days, we have seen 47 overs and 45 unders. So that's what we all saw from Major League Baseball on Sunday, and that's all what we've been seeing so far this year. 
Now let's chat a little bit about the NL Central. Let's chat about how the fact that we might have three teams that are the best out there in the National League all in the same division out west. We're going to be chatting about that with our good buddy Ben Wilson of the Vegas Heads and Information Network on the other side right here on the Baseball Betting Podcast with myself, Dave Peterson. Greg is calling in a pinch hitter from the Overtime Network Hotline. And we're back here in Lovey Las Vegas for the Baseball Betting Podcast. Myself, Greg Peterson. Great to have on our next guest as this is a gentleman doing an absolutely terrific job with the Vegas Ads Information Network. And he also does a lot of college broadcasts. I know that if you're out here on the West Coast trying to tune into a lot of WAC athletics, a lot of the Mountain West, what have you, Ben Wilson is on the call of a lot of like women's basketball, volleyball, basketball, what have you. The list goes on and on. He does a terrific job with that. And then on the Vegas Edson Information Network, you're able to hear him weekends doing the VEASAN Bet Center. Many times he is with myself or Josh Towers, former MOB pitcher, and you're able to follow Ben on Twitter at Ben underscore Wilson underscore the number one. And always great to have you aboard. Thank you so much for joining me. Hey, absolutely, Greg. Anytime. Love jumping on with you. It is great to have you aboard, and it's always great to have on a gentleman who hails from the great state of Wisconsin. And what do we make out of the Milwaukee Brewers? Because this is a team that all of a sudden, it seems like the offense has been able to get online. Going into their game on Sunday against the Arizona Diamondbacks, at least five runs in every one of their first four games to start the month of June. Now, obviously, there are still some deficiencies. Travis Shaw is still absolutely terrible. You've got Colton Wong who is on the injured list. Keston Hero has been more like Keston Hippie-Boo, but you've got a lot of guys that are starting to come around for this team, and I think that if the Brewers could just get those, they always say if Team X would score four runs per game, they'd be in great shape. I feel like you could make that argument with the Brewers with the way that the starting pitching has been. Yeah, I agree. It's interesting, too, how we always make such a big deal out of the trade deadline every year. And I appreciate the fact that we all know this with a GM like David Stearns. He's always been somebody to be very analytical and try not to do things exactly the way the status quo has been as far as GMs go in Major League Baseball. So I felt like his decision trying to go out, trade for a guy in Willie Adamas, has really given this Brewers offense a pretty impressive spark, to be totally honest with you. I mean, Greg, this is a guy in Adamas who I could easily see with his power and playing in the home ballpark, putting up 20, 25 home runs this season. And you look at his career numbers. I mean, this is a guy, and like not to get too in-depth on just thinking it's, it's one person responsible for a huge offensive surge, but this is a guy who always had really brutal home and road splits, but it was the opposite splits of what you normally expect. He really struggled at the trot playing for the Rays, and we all know that's a tough place to hit. It's obviously a situation where when you're playing there for the majority of your games and you struggle that way, it can be a tough deal mentally to kind of figure out, but Adamas is legit power, and he's hitting the ball well. They're able to put him really anywhere in the lineup. I mean, he came in right away. He's hit in the two-hole at times. He's hit in the seven-hole at times. So they're able to move him around the order depending on the lineup, and I really think that addition, I know it was kind of controversial because the Brewers invested so much in Luis Urias, but with how bad he'd been defensively, there's only so far you can go with letting a liability like that stay in the field. They've at least tried to find a luxury where they can play Urias in different spots, move him around the lineup, not after relying him so much after the trade where they traded Orlando Arcia away. And basically, we're making the statement of, all right, we believe in Urias, he's our guy, and quickly had to backtrack. So I think sometimes we get kind of caught up in, all right, these GMs are admitting failure. When I think the reality was the Brewers made a pretty smart midseason move, tried to get more depth. It's really paying off. Seems like it's 
really worn off on a lot of the other guys from a power perspective. But I think we both agree if the Brewers waited seven days to try to trade Orlando Arcia, they probably wouldn't have traded Orlando Arcia because I believe Colt Wong immediately after went on the injury list. And it's like, right. oh boy. And then they wound up having to pick up Jacob Nottingham, who they had designated for assignment and traded 14 days later. That was a little bit of a hot mess. And hey, so here we are still with the Milwaukee Brewers contending towards the top of the NL Central. As we do have Ben Wilson joining me on the podcast. And Ben, going into Sunday, Cubs and Brewers at the top of the NL Central, which I find to be very fascinating. And I do think that's something we've got to look out for for the Chicago Cubs. And this has been the case for them for quite a few years now, is the difference in their home and road splits. Now, getting destroyed on the West Coast by teams like the Padres and the Giants, there's no shame in that because I actually do think that the top three teams in the National League might be out there in the West Division. They are absolutely superb. But when it comes to this Cubs team, I just wonder about the consistency because this team's bullpen has actually been amazing. Over the last three days, they've got the best bullpen ERA out there in the big leagues. You've got guys that no doubt they're going to put the ball over the fence. Even if you don't wind up getting the world's greatest batting average out of guys like Javi Baez, Wilson Contreras, they're going to find a way to be able to give you some power numbers. But with the Chicago Cubs, what I think is just such a big issue for the team is that they are really built for Wrigley Field. And then when they get away from home, they're just unable to get those wins that they need because we always talk about you want to be winning as many games as possible at home. If you're able to go 500 on the road, you're going to be in good shape. And I just don't know if these pitchers, a lot of whom are flyball pitchers, are necessarily equipped to being able to pitch away from Wrigley Field. Yeah, it's really bizarre when you look at their starting rotation. It's been hard for me to have a really good beat on a team like the Cubs. And just to touch quickly on the hitting side of it, uh, they're a team that has apparently completely sold out for power. I mean, they're not even trying to make contact anymore, which I know the new found analytics say, look, that's the way you want to generate runs. But I just don't necessarily buy that. And kind of to your point, too, once you, you get into kind of the home road stuff, we know how hitter-friendly Wrigley can be, especially in the summer months. And so when I watch a guy like Javi Baez, just like he wasn't really a guy who had any plate discipline to begin with, but that kind of increased that to a new level. And you look at his K rate, I mean, it's a career high. It's over 35%, which is just ridiculous. And even though he's hitting for power, I think that's kind of a sort of a microcosm of their lineup in general. I do think sort of a harder place to handicap the Cubs is with the starting rotation. I mean, it's funny how a guy like Adbert Alzali, who you kind of figured, all right, this might be a fifth starter. Who knows if he'll even last in the rotation? Could he bounce back and forth from the rotation into a long relief role? And I've actually been really impressed with Alzali. And you could actually make the case when you think about how Jake Arrieta's really struggled mightily this year. Zach Davies, in a similar way, you know, he's giving up lots of a hard hit contact this season. And Kyle Hendricks, it's kind of been well documented. You mentioned some of the fly ball rates he's given up, and I mean, just giving up home runs at a pretty astronomical rate. Like Alzali's actually been really good, and the underlying numbers even suggest he's gotten a little bit unlucky. The XFIP suggests he should actually be doing a little bit better, and it's sort of amazing to look at how much better his control has gotten from walking like five, six and a half guys per nine innings to less than two this year. It is so rare to see that kind of leap from season to season for a single guy. So that's kind of why the Cubs are a difficult team for me to handicap long-term, Greg. It's just the fact that you've got guys who you would normally like, like Zach Davies is a guy I've always liked, Kyle Hendricks I've always liked, who just are not getting it done this year. And then you have these kind of wild card pitchers who are actually really impressive. So, I mean, if they can put all those guys together in line, so to speak, it could be a very dangerous team come, you know, late September, October. I'm just not convinced that between that and the willingness and kind of the insistence on selling out for power offensively that they're going to be able to find that once we get toward that 
you know, crucial stretch run. And with the Cubs, it's so interesting because you're talking about Albert Alzale, who's going to be going on Monday against Ryan Weathers of the Padres. He's been doing a terrific job, aside from the fact that he's giving up homers. Same goes for Kyle Hendricks. He winds up entering into Sunday, having given up 16 homers in like 65 innings. So the Cubs, they hit home runs themselves. They give up home runs themselves. So it certainly has been fascinating to watch that, as we do have Ben Wilson joining me on the podcast. And Ben, I was talking about this a little bit earlier, the fact that out there in the National League, you might have the best three teams out there in that West Division. You're going to have the Padres and the Cubs in one of the very few games that is going to be going down on Monday. I certainly do think that they are a top three team in this league, especially with what you've been able to get out of the bullpen. They've used their bullpen for more innings than any team out there in the big leagues, and yet they've got a top two, top three bullpen. With that regard, Fernando Tatis Jr., list goes on and on. But I think the Giants are here to stay. It's really tough with baseball futures because you have fewer to make the playoff future props. You really have to pick to win the division or not. And I think it would be really tough for the Giants to be able to stay atop the division like they are right now. But the more I see this team, the more I become a believer because the starting pitching has been absolutely amazing. I really do feel like Buster Posey might be the most impactful addition this offseason because we remember he wound up sitting out the 2020 season. He's really been carrying this offense and he does such a good job of being able to help these pitchers just be able to find it in general and be able to reach our peak potential. I definitely think you're right. And a guy like Posey, we all were just assuming, okay, this is going to be a massive case of regression back to the mean, just because like the power numbers he was putting up early, he had not even matched those since like the early to mid to 2010. He's in a 20 homer season since 2014 and he's hit 10 home runs already. But even though, you know, it has a slightly high bat, but I think a lot of the underlying numbers though still do back up the fact that He's making you know, a lot of hard contact. I mean, you look at his arrow rate, it's almost like triple from where he was at two years ago. So I do think there's something to be said. He's also, you know, career high hard hit rate since the StatCast data started. I think that was 2015, I want to say, when they began keeping track of that. He's at like 48, 49% on the hard hit rate and almost 10% of the barrel rate. So clearly there was something to taking that year off. And you, know, you can ask the question of, all right, now he's kind of moving around, being as a sort of positionally, but still being a traditional catcher this year, how long can the durability last? I definitely feel kind of your sentiment when it comes to trying to make futures bets, especially on a division as loaded as the NL West. And part of the problem too is like, it's hard for me to really figure out San Diego solely because, and I love their lineup and a lot of the pitching pieces they have. I'm still not really sure like what the front office plan is when you have guys like the Nelson Lamette who just have been unwilling to actually let them throw and, like, he's supposed to start Tuesday's game against the Cubs. You have Ryan Weathers, who's really the same deal. Like, a guy I like. I really like Lamette, too, but they're not letting him pitch at all. It's like, what's the point if you're not going to let these guys actually go and try to earn real starters' jobs? So I, I kind of worry about San Diego taxing their bullpen a ton. And kind of like what you mentioned, they've used the most bullpen arms and in innings of anybody. I just wonder if that catches up to them. And you think about the combination of that, while at the same time, there's so much talent there. You'd think this has to be a 90-95 win team. Same goes with the Dodgers, who I think you still can expect, even with some of the blips on the radar they've had with how banged up they've been. That's still a safe bet also in the 9,500 win range. That's kind of where you think about, all right, where do the Giants fit in? You are totally right. I wish the markets existed just to bet the, will they make the playoffs? Because I look at the NL East as a one-team division, probably the Mets. 
And the Central, the Cardinals kind of scream regression to me overall, and I'm not really sure if I buy the Cubs like we just talked about long term. So I, I think it ends up coming down to the Cubs and Giants and Brewers, you know, two of those three, throw the Cardinals in there maybe for the two wild card spots. And that's why it's tough when you don't have as many options as we do in other sports for the futures markets. And I know that in the NFL during the 2020 season, places like DraftKings, what have you, they would do updated season win totals. And unfortunately, that doesn't exist in baseball because that would be a way which you'd be able to bet on, okay, will the Giants be able to keep this up or will there be regression? And I would be taking it over right now. But unfortunately, beggars cannot be choosers, as we do have Ben Wilson joining me on the podcast. And Ben, when you just take a look at the landscape of baseball, we've obviously taken a look at the National League a lot. Is there a team or two, whether it be American League, National League, what have you, that you feel like there might be some progression slash regression with? Because I just take a look at the league in general. I have been impressed by some of these teams that have been able to stay relatively consistent because there have been some demonstrative home and road splits. I talked about that with the Chicago Cubs. Very well documented what the Rockies are doing on the road right now at 422. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so there, you've got that going on. But is there a team or two that – Maybe they've gotten off to a hot start and you think that it is going to remain steady. Or is there a team or two that got off to a slow start that they might be able to pick it up a little bit? So I've been going back and forth on the Braves. We just talked about like from a future standpoint in the NL, I really I didn't include them in the teams I think that are going to be fighting for the two wildcard spots. And that was a team I was initially thinking, all right, this could be a perfect team. Get some value on them if they struggle out of the gates. But the more I've watched them, I'm really starting to think, and this is going to be a popular team that, that I think people are assuming, all right, they'll figure it out. Things are going to come around. I think we've gotten to kind of that point of no return on Atlanta. And certainly, you know, the Marcel Zuna news was just like awful news to do the things he did. And hopefully he doesn't see the field the rest of the year. You start adding things up like that. You have Mike Soroka out for the year. You have Max Freed just like just can't figure it out. That, to me, has been, I think, the most surprising element of the struggles of that team. And so even though Ronald Acuna has been awesome, I've just gotten a lot of vibes. And I know Atlanta, With I think a lot of people aren't going to want to trust the Mets. And you look at all the other struggling pieces in that division, it's very easy to say, okay, the Braves, like they've got the pedigree. They've had really solid managing and they can potentially make a, a run. And, you know, you're plus 320 right now to win the NL East. Isn't that a good bargain? I'm not sure I'd go there. I think this is really the, the Mets division to win. And I think the Braves are that one team that we're all expecting positive aggression. I am not sure we're going to get that in the second half. Obviously, could be wrong, but all the signs to me when I watch them, no longer a bulletproof type bullpen. They've got a lot of holes there and just been a really unimpressive kind of spotty season in all respects for Atlanta. And for the Braves... It's not like the power numbers haven't been there. They actually lead the league in home runs, especially at home. At home, they're averaging well over 1.8 home runs per nine innings. So that has still been there, but I'm right there with you. The bullpen pitching has not necessarily been too terrific. Not getting back Mike Soroka for the foreseeable future is certainly something that is absolutely hurting this team. So I agree with you. I think the, the Atlanta Braves are a little bit of a lost cause, especially when the Mets, who are right now dealing with over half their lineup out, dealing with yeah. Noah Syndergaard along Carlos Carrasco still being on the injured list. When they wind up getting reinforcements, that is going to put the Atlanta Braves in a tough spot. But what always puts me in an easy spot is having on great guests on this podcast like you, Ben. I know that you do a terrific job over there with the Vegas Ads and Information Network. You do a lot of play-by-play work yourself. So let the good people at home know what you've all got going on and how they're able to follow along on social media and elsewhere. I appreciate you, Greg. Yeah, I'm at Ben underscore Wilson underscore one. I will admit, I'm not Greg Peterson when it comes to the Twitter. I'm not a huge Twitter guy, so follow at your own arrow because there's not going to be much content. I'll just, just throw that out there. You mentioned a lot of sports. We actually just finished up doing a postseason 
college baseball. So I just had my last games with that. I actually just got back from Phoenix, had a lot of fun. We were at the spring training site of the Oakland A's doing some college baseball for ESPN Plus. So that's kind of the end of our season. We usually go into early June. So we're just wrapped up with actually for play-by-play. So I'm in the rare downtime of my of my year, which is usually like a month, but I'll still be hosting on Eason pretty frequently in the meantime. So get to enjoy a lot of that, a lot of golf, tennis. I'll be betting on as well as the baseball here over the next few months. And it's going to be a lot of fun. Baseball is a sport that rewards the grinders. And speaking of grinders in this industry, that would be Ben Wilson. Always great to get him aboard on this podcast. So big thanks to Ben for joining me right here on the Baseball Bang Podcast and coming up next. One of the shorter cards we're going to see this baseball season, but I'm going to give you guys a side to total on every game on the betting board for this Monday and a little something you like to call Touch Em All. Welcome back to the Baseball Betting Podcast with Greg Peterson as we're off to a quality start. And now it's time to walk it off in a grand fashion. And we're back here in lovely Las Vegas for the Baseball Betting Podcast. Myself, Greg Peterson. A big thanks to Ben Wilson of the Vegas Ads and Information Network and great play-by-play commentator for joining me in the last segment. Now it is that time of the podcast, even though we really don't have too many games on the board for this Monday. They give you a signed total on every one of them and a little something I like to call... Touch them all. If a game is listed on the betting board, Greg has a side and a total on it, so it is time to touch them all. First things first, going to go in Las Vegas rotation order. This is where we go National League games first, then the American League games, and then interleague games are on the bottom. We've got one of each, so that makes it very easy on you. So that's the order that we're going to be going in. Any changes that are made to these plays will be made on the spreadsheet along with my Twitter feed at GRS41. And we begin with 901, 902 on the betting board. The Chicago Cubs hit the road to face off against the Slam Diego Padres. You've got Ryan Weathers on the bump for the pods. Meanwhile, Ed Bear Alzale is going to be going for the Cubbies. Your draw on this game is anywhere between 7 and 7.5. Seven on the 7, over is minus 135, and the under is plus 115. On the 7.5, over is anywhere between minus 115 and even money. Meanwhile, if you're taking a look at the under, that is anywhere between minus 105 and minus 120. With Alzale, he actually has been able to do a good job of being able to get some strikeouts for Ryan Weathers. I wish the Padres would be a little bit more willing for him to be able to go deeper into games, but with the Padres, even though they have used their bullpen for the most amount of innings out there in the National League, they've still got the best bullpen ERA out there in the National League. Now with the Padres, they did wind up using up Craig Stammen for two innings yesterday, but you still have Emilio Bagan, Tim Hill, Mark Balanza, guys like this, and for the Padres, how about Fernando Tatis Jr.? He has been able to do absolutely tremendous things for the team so far this year. 17 home runs and 154 at-bats, so he's getting one nearly every eight or so at bats. Eric Cosmer, along with Jake Cronenworth, both hitting right around a 275 for the team. Will Myers has a 330 on base. He's been able to give you right around a 250 batting average. You've got a lot of guys like a Tommy Pham that they might not have high batting averages, but they do a good job of being able to reach base. And for the Chicago Cubs, their bullpen ERA is right around like a one over the last three days. They've got the best bullpen ERA over the last three days out there in the big leagues. And this is a team that they can be a little bit hit or miss on the road. And as we were talking about with our good buddy Ben, this is a team that they really do sell out for power because you've got Javi Baez, 14 home runs, but he's got 49 total hits. So that means that right in the neighborhood of about like 30 or so percent of his hits are all going over the fence. Patrick Wisdom, ever since he's gotten an opportunity, he's actually been terrific for the team. He's got seven home runs over the course of 34 at-bats. So he certainly has been able to come to the forefront for the team. Anthony Rizzo, a 350 on base. Chris Bryant, he's got a double-digit amount of bombs. He's hitting above a 300. Eric Sogard has been relatively solid. The problem with the Cubs is they did wind up using up Craig Kimbrell yesterday. Now, 
only for nine pitches, so he might be able to come back along with Andrew Chafin as Kyle Hendricks was able to give you six and a third innings, but I do think that you are going to see a Padres team that is able to get a little bit more out of Ryan Weathers, who has given up his fair share of home runs, but keep in mind, this is a game that is being played at 7 p.m. Pacific time, so that means that the ball is going to be flying out a little bit less in San Diego. You've got those ballpark conditions that makes it so pitcher-friendly during the nighttime, and in this spot, I do think that you are going to be able to get a solid performance out of the Padres. I want to make them personally a minus 148 favorite. I made this total 8.3, so I'm going to be taking this total over, and I'm going to be riding with the pods. We move on to 903-904 on the betting board. The Kansas City Royals hit the road face off against the LA Angels. Dylan, don't call me Al Bundy, is going to be going for the Angels. Meanwhile, Jackson Gower is on the bump for the Royals. Total on this game is 8.5, over and under, anywhere between minus 105 and minus 115. Angels, anywhere between minus 126 and minus 135 favorites. Meanwhile, if you're taking a look at the Royals, you're going to be finding them anywhere between plus 110, as good as a plus 125. I want to make the Angels a about a minus 134-ish favorite, so I'm going to be riding with them now with Gower. He actually has been very impressive at the minor league level so far this season. He is 5-0 and in five starts. He is pitch over there for the Florida Gators. I just fear that this might be a little bit too small of a sample size to really buy in on him. He was over there at AAA Omaha this season and in his five stars, he's someone that wound up walking about three guys per nine innings, 12 punch outs per nine, did a good job not giving up a single homer, but that is out there in a little bit more of a pitcher-friendly league as well. And then we take a look at Dylan Bundy. Well, he's been bad so far this year. I don't think that there's any getting around that with Pister Bundy. He's got as many wins as myself. 649 ERA. He's given up the bombs. 12 home runs and 51 and a third innings. I'm questioning why the total is 8.5. I've made it nearly a full run higher, so I'm certainly going to be all aboard the over in this spot, especially with the Angels and the lineup that they're throwing out there. Shohei Otani, double-digit amount of homers. He's hitting in the realm of about a 255 for this team. Justin Upton, he hasn't necessarily done a great job with the batting average at a 225, but He's got a double-digit amount of homers for you. Got his 13th yesterday. Anthony Rendon seems to be picking it up. He got a pair of hits yesterday. You've got Jared Walsh hitting above a 300. Double-digit amount of homers for him. Jose Iglesias is back to fold. He and Max Sassy along David Fletcher. Only between a 264 and a 275. And with Sassy is on base percentage right around a 356. You've been able to get a little bit of something out of someone like a Juan Lagares who seems to be waning a little bit as well. But then you take a look at the Kansas City Royals as well. I am very impressed by what you've been able to get out of Salvador. Perez. He has been terrific at the catcher spot of being able to help out these pitchers, and on top of that, 275 batting average with 14 home runs out. Ode Soler, hitting below the Mendoz line of 200 two years ago. He had 48 home runs. So far this year, he's got four. He has been a big, giant disappointment, but you got other guys getting on base for you. Draw Dyson with Merrifield. In between a 265 and a 275, Carlos Santana, 380 on base. He's got a little bit pop in the back. Kelvin Gutierrez has been able to hit about a 260 for the C. Michael A. Taylor, more around a 250, and you've gotten back Edward Oliveira who I do like out there in the outfield as well. But with the Royals, they are dealing with a couple injury concerns in the bullpen as well. Josh Samount wound up just coming back for the team. So that means that you wind up having Tyler Zuber wind up leaving the roster for the time being, which is actually a good thing for this team. Jake Brent, Scott Barlow, these guys have been solid, but Wade Davis is still a big liability with this team as well. And the cross-country travel... 
I think will affect this team a little bit as well with the Kansas City Royals as well, drowning out their guy in his first start. It seems like these guys, they're either dominant in their first start or they wind up getting lit up. I think that this is just a little bit of a bad spot for them. So I'm going to be taking the Angels on the money line in spot. Like I said, I think that this total should be closer to 9.5, so we're going to be taking it over. And then the last game is my New York Post play of the day, 905-906 on the bank board. The Boston Red Sox are going to be playing with the Miami Marlins. One Pablo Lopez is going to be on the bump for the fish. Nick Pavetta going to be going for the Boston Red Sox. Red Sox, and we're between minus 138 and minus 157 favorites. So you've got a range here. Meanwhile, if you take a look at the fish, and we're between plus 126 and plus 140. Tallest game is anywhere between 8.5 and, and 9. On the 8.5, over is anywhere between minus 115 and minus 125. Under is anywhere between plus 105 and minus 105. And then on the nines that we're seeing, under is anywhere between minus 120 and minus 125. The over is anywhere between even and plus 105. And we're seeing now it's circa 9 with the over at minus 113 and the under at minus 107. That just popped up. So you've got that going on. And I can tell you right now, I am going to be all aboard the under in this spot in my New York Post play. As I wound up saying this all at 7.9. So I see another full run differential with regards to my total as opposed to the bookmakers. And a big reason why is because Mr. Pablo Lopez has been terrific for this Miami Marlins team. He's given up less than a home run per nine innings. Walks right around 2.6, 2.7-ish per nine innings, but you take a look at what he's been able to do on the road. Two runs are fewer in really six out of his last seven road starts, so he has been rock solid. He's got a Miami Marlins team behind him that is one of the worst in the league at being able to put bat to ball. They were able to get a win against the Pittsburgh Pirates yesterday, but this is a bunch that they rank towards the bottom with regards to batting average, with regards to home runs per game. They're in the bottom five. Jesus Aguiar has been able to give you 12 home runs. That's all. You get back the Marte Parte of Sterling Marte. He's been able to hit a 300 for this team. And then you've got a bunch of guys like Aguiar, who I mentioned a little bit earlier, Jazz Chislam, Corey Dickerson, hitting in that pocket of a 265 with right around a 323 to a 330 on base. But then you've got John Birdie, Izan Diaz, whenever he's out there, Louis Brinson, Sandy Leon, all guys hitting below the Mendoza line of 200. And for the Boston Red Sox, they are coming off of Sunday Night Baseball. They have to travel back and play what is going to be a 210 Pacific, 510 PM Eastern game. So that's not necessarily the easiest thing in the world. They are currently dealing with an injury to J.D. Martinez. He wound up missing last couple games of their series against the New York Yankees. Now, Alex Verdugo winds up hitting a home run yesterday. He has been very good for the with 350 on base, 290 batting average. Andrew Bogarts, 320 batting average with right around a 375 on base. And Rafael Devers has been able to give the team 15 home runs with a 275 batting average. But even some of the guys at the bottom of the fold, like a Marwin Gonzalez, like a Bobby Dahlbeck, they don't necessarily do a great job for this team. Danny Santana is hitting a buck 25 with the Boston Red Sox. They've actually had one of the better bullpens out there in the big leagues. Now they had to rely upon it quite a bit with Garrett Richards only being able to give you five innings in the game going extra. So Adam Adovino, Darwinson, Hernandez. They might not be able to come out, but you've got Hurukazu Saudamura, who's been very good for the team, and Nick Pavetta has been able to do a very good job for the team as well. Walks can always be an issue with them, but still, at home so far this year, 369 ERA. Opponents overall are hitting at 209 off of him. He's only given up four home runs in the course of 59 and two-thirds innings, so I think that both of these starting pitchers are going to be pretty rock solid with the Boston Red Sox. They're one of the top teams in the league in not giving up home runs as well, which I think is going to be big, which is why the New York Post 
must play of the day here is going to be the under. And with the Miami Marlins, I did wind up setting them as an underdog, but I only set them at plus 133. I think that this is a little bit out of whack, especially with Pavetta giving up right around four and a half walks per nine innings. I think that the Marlins can pull out a very low-scoring game. So we're going to be going with the fish, and the New York Post play of the day is the under. And now we'll wrap things up for the Baseball Betting Podcast on this wonderful Monday. A big thanks to Ben Wilson of Eason for joining me in the last segment. If you like what you're hearing from this fine podcast, you're able to subscribe to the Baseball Betting Podcast with Greg Peterson wherever you hear podcasts. Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Citra, Internet. You've got one of two ways to be able to find questions if you have them for this podcast. First way is my Twitter timeline at GUnit underscore 81. Keep in mind the letters ZM, they mean does not matter. Other ways via an Apple Podcast review. If you rate this podcast five stars, it is very much appreciated. Then from there, you're able to send in your questions, comments, segment ideas, what have you. We're going to have a little bit more of a loaded board tomorrow, and I'm going to be coming at you guys every single day throughout the baseball season. Season, which means I'm going to be coming at you guys with that tomorrow. Thank you so much for tuning in.